You're listening to the ESPN Radio 94.1 podcast page, accelerated by Sports Innovation X. Six is bridging the gap between tech, athletes, and teams. Check them out at sportsinnovationx.com. Hampton Roads has a long-running high school and college sports tradition. It's time to give them the spotlight they deserve. This is the 757 at 6 on Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. 757 at 6, Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. I'm Tim Donnelly, Robbie Vogler, keeping us up and running. ODU had their spring game over the weekend. I took in a decent amount of it on location. Wanted to see what the new offense was all about. Wanted to see what they were going to do at quarterback. Wanted to see what the playmakers were all about. I saw some of it. Obviously, a spring game, it's going to be a little bit more bland than usual. Uh, right. Unless you're checking like, uh, you know, social security numbers when when everybody walks in, coaches traditionally assume that somebody from an opponent could walk into the stadium wearing an ODU hat and sit there and take notes. So, the, you know, they're they're a bit, I would say, paranoid when it comes to that sort of thing. So so they keep it bland. But the bones, the structure, you can't really change because right? Lining up formations, personnel, that's going to have to be what it is. You're not going to install a fake offense to run. Even if you're running a bland version of your offense, the bones are going to be there. Here's what I learned. Their spread, right? This new Kevin Decker spread that he's bringing from Fordham. It should be like spread, spread. Like you, you have to spread it more. This is creamy peanut butter not chunky peanut butter because it's smooth in the spread i've i honestly i'm i'm guessing you know maybe tennessee but i don't remember any off the top of my head from watching tennessee this year i haven't seen double wide receiver stacks which means wide receiver on the line wide receiver directly behind him in wide receiver stances doubles so two on like two wide receivers on each side of the formation as wide as they set up a few times. And I'm talking about like the numbers, like way the heck out there. And, you know, most of the time in the spring game, at least when I was paying attention, and there was some some hobnobbing going on, so I'm not going to pretend like I saw every single play. Most of them were run plays. But I just, like, that is, you have to have counters off of it. You have to have throws off of it. That is an unusual spread. Like, they should they should spell their spread s space space p space space r like it is spread so their obvious you know thought process is their their obvious um kind of hmm, how how should i say this their obvious goal is to get the the defense spread as horizontally as possible and then attack vertically and it, at times it worked now obviously uh, at times it didn't, but at times the, the ODU running backs had pretty significant space to operate within, right? They had pretty significant space to to dodge, dip, and dive and, and do the things that running backs do. Now, they were a skosh away from breaking some big runs, right? We're talking shoestring tackles. We're talking grabbing shoelaces. Very, very close, okay? So So what that means to me is with greater volume they'll break some of those 
Now, it depends on the speed of your running backs, whether they're 60-yard touchdowns or 25-yard runs angled to the sideline trying to beat the fastest defender. But either way, those can be big plays. The other thing I wanted to see about this offense was the quarterback rotation because reps are the the number one way to communicate with players, right? If, If a coach says you're in a competition to be the starting quarterback, yet you're getting two reps to every eight the other guy is getting, well, you might be in a competition, but you're losing. I think it was pretty even. Again, I wasn't out there with with a bean counter, with an abacus going, that's one for Shields, that's one for Wilson, that's one for Shields, that's one for Wilson. But I did notice, like, uh, you know, Grant Wilson took the first rep of seven on seven because they did a little, like, warm-up seven on seven. And then I believe Shields took the first rep of team. And then it was kind of series, series, series. So I didn't see anyone with as an obvious leader in the quarterback competition. Now, again, that might have been they anticipated Hayden Wolf taking the first with all of them, and he transferred out or put his name in the transfer portal. So it's it's hard to know how much that adjusted things, but it seemed even, seemed even. And we're going to talk with Kevin Decker, the, the offensive coordinator of ODU tomorrow, and we can ask him if it was even, and we'll see if he answers. But, uh, but we can get more information there. The other thing that stood out to me, and this – I'm going to preface by saying might not be as it looked. Quarterbacks were were taking a lot of pressure, meaning sacks, meaning holding onto the ball for what would have been sacks. Offensive line, maybe not holding up as long as you'd like. Miss, Not even missing, like knowing where to go with the ball, but being a little late with it and giving the defense time to catch up. Now, the reason why I say this might not have been what it looked like on the surface is the quarterbacks were in non-contact jerseys. Right, the there were the dark blue and white jerseys for everybody else, and then that light blue Hudson blue for the quarterbacks meant you can't touch me. And and at, like I played quarterback in college at the University of Delaware, I can tell you your your alarm clock's a little slower when you know they can't touch you. Right, you just have a little bit of an air of confidence of I can step up in the pocket here. When in a game you might escape the pocket or. In a game, I might throw it away, but because I know they can't touch me, I'm going to act as if I'm just standing in the pocket and throw a deep ball. That could be that. You know what I mean? It could just be overly comfortable when that wouldn't happen in a real game. But, you know, maybe it's the new offense. I want to see them speed up their decision-making, speed up their execution. And then the last thing is that the quarterbacks tucked it and ran quite a bit. I can tell you right now, the entire defense was frustrated by it because when I can't tackle you, you shouldn't be able to run. Now, again, I played quarterback and I did the same trick, right? It's like, oh, there's a gap. I'm going to step up and run. And, oh, you didn't touch me. But they, their argument would be, I'm not running at you full speed, right? I I would have been able to get my hand on you, but I would have had to risk hitting you and I'm not allowed to hit you. So I, I'm not sure all of those first downs would be first downs, right? Uh a 12-yard gain might be a 5-yard gain. I'm not saying you wouldn't have gained yardage, but it's a little different. So my overall take on the spring game from an offensive standpoint is there was up and downs, good and bads, right? There there were plays that very much impressed me. A couple plays made by wide receivers that very much impressed me. There were some downs, some sacks given up, some drops, some, some uh, uh, quarterback being late plays. 
I don't know what is a reason or excuse yet in this offense. Right? I talk about the difference between reasons and excuses all the time. A reason is legit, right? If if you know you're out there playing on a torn knee, but you're trying to gut it out and you can't run, that's a reason, right? If you turn around and say, I would have run for the first down, but I couldn't because my knee is hanging on by a thread, that's a reason, right? That's not you making an excuse. That's a reason. Meanwhile, if you say, I have a bruise on my shin, so I couldn't run, I'm going to go, ah, that's more of an excuse, right? Hurt versus injured. I don't know in this offense yet until I become way more familiar with it, what it's fully supposed to look like, uh, how much is fully on the quarterback's plate, uh, whether it was the receiver not doing what they're supposed to do, we may never know that, right? Whether it's the receiver or the quarterback not being where they're supposed to be. Uh, so I don't know what's a reason and what's an excuse yet. So the things that went poorly, there may be a really good reason for it, right? The coach may have said, don't throw the deep ball because uh, you know we want to work the second route. They may have said, uh, hold on to it a little bit here. We want to see you get through your reads. So we don't know what's a reason and what's an excuse uh, so, so we don't know how harshly to judge some of the things that that left us wanting more in the spring game. But overall, it was good atmosphere. Team looked engaged. Uh, I didn't count. The roster looked light. So I wouldn't be surprised if they hit the portal kind of aggressively, um, which, again, is is a very modern college football thing. Uh, I was going, you know, wow. I don't, I don't know if they could do like a full game where they have a, a, a one offense on one sideline, a two offense on the other sideline, and same with defense. It looked very much like their two deep would be stretching them numbers-wise. But again, I didn't count. Could have just been, you know, I'm bad with numbers. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they added quite a bit in the transfer portal. And by the looks of it, there's opportunities, right? If if you're a transfer portal player and you're you know at, at a spring game at a Power 5 uh, school right now, and you didn't get the amount of reps, you weren't on the depth chart where you thought you were during the spring game, and you're leaving looking for playing time, there's opportunities at ODU, right? They won three games last year. There's probably not more than two or three jobs that are etched in stone. Everything else is is fluid. So if you're looking for a spot, ODU might be that spot. And I suggest, or I wouldn't, I'm not suggest, I expect the coaching staff to use that exact pitch when hitting the portal, which opened up on Saturday. So they're probably... Which means today is the latest a team could put someone in. Like the methodology of the the portal is very confusing. But once a player officially gives notice to their school that they want to go in the portal, the school has up to forty eight hours to actually put them in. So with the portal opening up on Saturday and many spring games being on Saturday. Today would be the day where those names are actually put in the portal. So then you have to then start recruiting them. It's a whole thing. There's a lot of red tape. ODU spring game. There's my thoughts. We'll be back with more of the 757 at 6 coming up next. Go ahead and stick around. Every weeknight, giving you all you need to know about high school and college sports in the 757. It's the 757 at 6 on Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. 757 at 6, Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. It does seem like there's always a little bit of uh, Washington Commander's owner news kicking around during the 757 at 6. I don't, I don't know if maybe the Snyders just kind of operate at a, we got our business done in the 6 o'clock hour style. Um, but uh, Sportico is reporting that the NFL has received the terms of the deal between which ownership bid do you think it is? Josh Harris 
and Dan Snyder for review as the sale moves one step closer to completion. Next, the league will review the deal and return it to the parties for alteration or, if approved, signatures. So, uh, obviously, Snyder didn't wait, didn't didn't throw the, the brakes on for whatever the Brian Davis offer was. Uh, and he's continuing to move forward with the Josh Harris deal. But until signatures are on the paper, it is non-exclusive. And that means that other offers can still come in and, and try to one-up the Josh Harris deal, uh, Josh Harris group. But uh, but it does look like the Josh Harris group is moving forward, expecting to be the owners of the Washington Commanders, which for many, many reasons I think is kind of the right way to go and the the, the hopeful way that Commanders fans should be hoping to go. Now, I want to touch base on Dorian Finney-Smith and Cam Thomas in the Nets. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith uh, uh, and Cam Thomas, both 757 natives, playing in the postseason for the Brooklyn Nets against the Sixers. I'm going to start with the Dorian Finney-Smith element of this because I don't get it. He played 18 minutes against the Sixers because the Sixers want, or sorry, the Nets wanted to go big against the Sixers. He was two for three and two for two from three-point range. Dorian Finney-Smith does so much good for you, and we saw it when he was in Dallas. We've seen it at times with the Nets, but he does so much good for you when it comes to everything that doesn't show up in a stat sheet, right? The guy was was routinely hitting like four points, three rebounds, three assists, and four fouls for the Mavericks, and they gave him $12 million a year. That shows that like his plus minus was always very, very good. When he starts knocking down threes, when he has one of those days where he's going to be an efficient scorer, you have to keep him on the floor. Have to. 18 minutes is not enough. Finished with six points, and yeah, you went big against the Sixers, which doesn't make sense because you're not going to outbig them when they have Joel Embiid. Oh, great. You got an, six more fouls against him. Guess what? He's either going to get to the line or he's going to dunk it. It's two points either way. He's a good free throw shooter. Dorian Finney-Smith should be in that game. It, it, it it's, it's kind of like, like, you know, when you play against a team that is going to – well, I, I was, I, my analogies always go back to football. It's like when you play against a team that's going to – like they have like Eddie George from 2001 and they're just going to run the ball 40 times – if you're a throwing team, you don't go, all right, now we're going to run the ball, right? You go, no, when we get the ball, we're going to run our offense. If you're the Nets, you can't look at the the Sixers and say they have one of the few true centers in the league that are dynamic. Let's go ahead and try to play their game. No, you say, hey, guess what? We have Dorian Finney-Smith. We have Mikhail Bridges. We have these wings, Dinwiddie, right? All of the these size wings, and if we can't beat them down low, we're going to have to bring them out to where we like to play. And we're going to have to make threes. And we're going to have to take threes. Which, by the way, they shot 45% from three. The Nets did. And they lost by 20. If you're shooting 45% from three, the only thing you should be worried about is how do we get more threes up and keep shooting until you drop down to 36%. Volume. If you're making 45% of your threes, volume, volume, volume. If you have a guy that's two for two from three and he's a starter, you don't play him 18 minutes. You at least have to let him keep shooting until he's 50% from three. And then there's the Cam Thomas element. Cam Thomas 
continue. He's another seven five seven native. He's on the Nets. He continues to be the hardest to to understand player in the NBA. Okay, so so he had a streak in the middle of the season where he made three consecutive games of at least forty three points per game. Forty three in three plus in three consecutive games. And then as the players from the, the trades, the multiple trades they made, started coming back and taking their roles, he started getting did not play coaches' decisions. So then at the end of the year, right, when teams are kind of set in their their seating, what happens? They say, all right, Cam, you can go ahead and be the main, main guy again. What happens in the last game of the year? He scores 46 points of wildly efficient basketball. Right, he didn't take fifty shots. Right, he took mid twenty shots and finished with forty six points. Played four minutes in the playoff game. Didn't score any points. Went zero for one, and and it's just like he. There has to be a role for the guy, who every single time he gets asked to play a big role, scores forty. I'm not saying it's got to be a big role. I'm not saying you have to say, you know, forget you, Mikhail Bridges. I know you've been an all-star quality player since you came over, but we're passing the offense off to Cam Thomas. But in the second unit, like a 40-point game, all right, might have been situational. You might have caught caught fire, You, you right? You woke up on the right side of the bed that day. Four 40-point games in the same season? You can't write. I don't care if you're playing against backups. I don't care if you are told to take 30 shots. Four games of 43 plus is a scorer. He is a bucket walking. Now, it probably sounds like because this is the 757 at six, I am blindly advocating for the two guys from the 757. That's not the case at all. I'm I'm looking at guys that that do very good things in, on the basketball court, and and I actually I understand the Cam Thomas element a little bit of it because there is a like a, a an archetype of NBA player who is needs to be the primary ball handler and a high usage guy to play his most effective brand of basketball, and he's not good enough to be that on an NBA team. But I just I I can't help but wonder if there's not some kind of Jamal Crawford in there, if there's not some kind of Lou Williams in there who who can at a lesser volume have high usage and score buckets, right? Walk at like he should be playing 18 minutes a game, not Dorian Finney Smith. And the difference would be he'd walk away with like 12 points in 18 minutes a game. Dorian Finney-Smith should play 40 minutes of highly effective basketball and walk away with eight points. It's, it's, they're different, but they both have value to the Nets. And uh, if you're going to lose by 20, like they did, I think there's a different way to keep it closer. By the way, Mikhail Bridges is very good. It's just irrelevant to the, the conversation. I understand why he's the lead dog with the Nets. 30 points on 18 shots in a playoff game when you when you took over the kind of the lead dog late in the season that's that's pretty good it's pretty good Sixers still win though I'm a Sixers fan at heart 
Uh, that's about going to do it for me here on the 757 at 6. But don't worry, Robbie is going to r- close out the show with Robbie's roundout uh, coming up in two segments. And right now, what we're going to do, um, you know, I talk often about how much I value youth sports. I talk often about how much I value uh, high school sports, the lessons learned, the camaraderie, the teamwork, the hard work, how it's, it's you know, a lot of the things that that I value about my professional work ethic and or work ethic in general came from playing sports growing up. And uh, in the area, or actually nationally, there's a referee shortage for a multitude of reasons. The Southeastern Football Officials Association, S-E-F-O-A, is uh, looking for potential officials out there. If you have the time, uh, you can you can become an official and help those athletes learn those lessons and be a part of it, kind of be the unsung hero. So head to sefoa.net uh, to learn more. And coming up next, uh, my conversation with Lance Ulrich from earlier today, who is the director of recruiting. Yes. Director of Recruiting for SEFOA uh, is coming up next, so you can get more information about it. Stick around to hear that. Then Robbie's going to close out the show after it uh, for me. See ya. Welcome back into Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. Joining us now on the phone lines, the Director of Recruiting over at Southeastern Football Officials Association, SEFOA. Uh, if you're if you're looking them up, SEFOA.net. It's it's Lance Ulrich. And uh keep that that URL in mind because we're gonna send you there in a second. Uh Lance, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh we talked about this last year. Uh, I'm excited to have you back on because uh, you know, I think youth sports, high school sports, that they're, they're important. I, I think there's uh, a huge value in them, and maybe the unsung heroes of, of the bunch are the, the referees. So uh, when it comes to a referee shortage, like we've been hearing about in some some uh, uh, of the, the spots and ads on our network, uh, what is going on with the referees in, in the area and with your organization? Well, first, I'll, I'll just say good morning, and thanks mm-hmm. again for having me. Uh, you guys were such a great proponent of ours, and whether you know it or not, we're a big part of our recruiting class last year. We had probably the largest recruiting class in our association that we've had since I've been a part of the organization. So thank you very much for that mm-hmm. because getting the word out really helps. In terms of the uh, nationwide shortage, uh, I, I'm always happy to talk about football, but the reality is the nationwide shortage involves officials for every sport. Mm-hmm. So if you you know if you're within the sound of my voice today, I'd love for you to be a football official, but I also encourage you to uh, investigate officiating in any of the sports you might be passionate about. And so, yeah, because we do have a nationwide shortage, we're doing everything we possibly can in order to, to get new officials to join us. Uh, every year there's always a push for, for new officials, and so that's what our goal is this year. You know, hopefully we can add another 25 officials this year. And and. You know, I think I remember doing this during our previous conversation, but uh, to me, the the hurdles when it comes to, uh, you know, making the, the the decision to become an official or to look further into it is, uh, you know, one of the main ones is the the viral videos of the, the unruly parents or fans or, or, you know, everybody that gets upset with the officials. How can you protect new refs or, or, or referees that, that get involved from those sorts of situations? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things, you know, we're always fighting against are videos like that because, you know, those are the videos seen around the world, mm. right? They they go viral, like you said, so everybody sees them. 
And what starts out as, you know, a desire or a passion to begin officiating can quickly, you know, escalate or go downhill once they start to get that experience. And so to combat that, some of the things we do is, you know, first of all, we prepare them for the reality of it that oftentimes just because a video goes viral, it doesn't really reflect how often something like that happens. It's, you know, sort of a one-off. Mm-hmm. So we talk about the reality of like, yes, you'll see those on, you know, on the viral videos, but the reality is it doesn't happen as often as it may seem based on those videos. And in the situations where it does happen, we try and show officials how to be as professional as possible when handling or confronting situations like that. So that in the event it does take place, they're prepared to, to deal with it, you know, in a professional manner like we'd like to, you know, display. Even at the youth level, right, our job as officials is to always maintain decorum, uh, a calm presence, and a level of professionalism. So that's some of the things we focus on uh, with the newer officials when we uh, start to begin the training with them. Lance Ulrich is the the director of recruiting for the Southeastern Football Officials Association. Joining us here, uh, we'll let you know if you are interested in becoming an official where you can go to get more information uh, at the end at the end of our conversation. Uh, Lance, if if I were to become an official, I think one of the the main things that that I would you know strive for is to be a good one, right? Because I remember what it was like in high school or in youth where. You know, looking back, it wasn't all that important. But as a player, it's like the most important part of your week. And I wouldn't I would want to take that seriously. What's the training like? How do you get, you know, former players or people just interested in the sport up to snuff when it comes to being a quality official? So great question. One of the things we offer um, for the SEFOA, Southeastern Football Officials Association, is a pretty quality training program. Uh, it's run by a Division One college official um, with assistance from, from me and a few other officials who officiate uh, at some higher levels. And we talk to them about, you know, the current philosophies in, in terms of, you know, what determines a foul, what, you know, things we can look past, uh, things we need to focus on. We, we get them involved in the mechanics of the sport right away because, Anytime you can get them in the right position to officiate properly, we're going to help them gain the confidence they need um, when making decisions on the field. And then, of course, we focus you know, on rules in the rule book in, in what amounts to about an eight-week training program prior to the season ever beginning. And so by the time the season starts, we've had them for about eight good weeks of teaching them all that stuff so they can gain some of the confidence we need them to once they begin officiating. And then finally, before the season ever starts, we have the scrimmage season, which is about a full month prior to the start of the season. So we can get them out there in a no-pressure situation, right, where they can start to learn, where they can see the game, you know, how it moves, what we want them to focus on, and so they can spend a good month four weeks prior to the beginning of the season of watching, you know, live action football that doesn't, that doesn't count, right? These aren't games that matter in the standings or anything like that because it's the scrimmage season. And so we're able to uh, take all those things, you know, combine them together and get them out there on the field in combination with what we've taught them for the eight weeks prior to 
in in our training season. You bring up uh, being trained by by some refs with some experience at higher levels. Is that part of the goal? Are, are you trying to breed the next generation? Like, is it a is there upward mobility to to college or any any of those kind of kind of opportunities? We 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 are certainly happy to discuss those things with officials once they gain some experience at the high school level. Right now, our goal uh, is to bring in as many officials we can to officiate at the middle school, JV, and varsity level. So that's what we're trying to achieve. Now, I'll give you an example of that. You know, if we were to bring in a class of 30 officials and 15% of those officials just sort of demonstrated right away that they really understand all the things we're talking about and they show the aptitude and the ability to begin officiating at the next level, we will sort of start to speak to them about considering what it takes to officiate at the next level. Because, you know, the commitment it takes for middle school, JV, and high school is fairly significant, you know, in cost and time. Mm -hmm. But when you want to make the leap to the next level to officiate at the NCAA level, it becomes even more time-consuming and a little bit more expensive because of the amount of travel that goes into it. So we want to make sure they demonstrate, you know, that they enjoy it at the high school level, that they understand it and they adapt to it before we start talking to them really about the next level of officiating at the NCAA level. That voice here is Lance Ulrich, Director of Recruiting, Southeastern Football uh, Football Officials Association. I knew I was going to mess it up one time. Uh, S-E-F-O-A dot net if you're looking for more info. Uh, you brought up the, the cost, right? Uh, I, I mean, as I said at the beginning, I see the value in it. I think it could be fun for for somebody trying to stay around the game. Uh, but but compensation is always always a question as well. What are we, what are we talking about when it comes to to those sorts of things per game or or however you describe it? Yes. So when you're beginning the journey, we have a couple different things. The the first thing, because you do need to buy uniforms, you need to buy equipment, and then obviously you know some some moderate travel here within Hampton Roads for us. So you know gas. And then there's the sort of the untold uh, amount of time you spend away from your family. But a new official can probably expect to spend somewhere around about $300 in uniform costs to get started. And depending on what level you're working at, you know, you can make that up through the course of the season. Now, we don't assign uh, officiating for youth sports, Pop Warner, but a couple of the officials that work in our organization, do assign for that. And you can really make up some of those costs if you begin to officiate at the Pop Warner level. And there's value in that, not only in the amount of money you make, but in the experience you gain too, which will help you you know, gain the confidence you need. But you can really make up the costs associated with officiating at that level in addition to how you would make up for it at our level as well. So you, out of the gate, yeah, you probably would expect to spend about about 300 to $400 just based on the amount of uniforms and equipment that you want to buy. But again, within the first month of officiating in the regular season, you'll absorb those costs back based on what you do make for the youth sports, the middle schools, the JV, um, and some of the varsity assignments. In addition to okay. that, we I was going to say one of the programs that's really beneficial in our area because, as you know, here in Hampton Roads, we're high military. Mm-hmm. So when we get a lot of military 
personnel that have interest in officiating. There's a great program out there called Battlefields to Ballfields, which was started by uh, NFL um, official Mike Pereira. Most people know NFL rules analyst Mike Pereira if they watch football. It's a it's a charity he began that allows for veterans to receive funding for all of those expenses up front. And so if you're a veteran or you're a retired military or even if you're active duty and you've never officiated before, you can join the Battlefields to Ballfields program and you can be reimbursed for all your expenses as it relates to officiating. And our director of training is also the representative for Battlefields to Ballfields here in Hampton Roads as well. So you can get all the information you need from him to join that program as well. Lance Ulrich, Director of Recruiting, Southeastern Football Officials Association. Lance, if, if someone is hearing this, wants to get involved, they want to help out, they want to be an official, where do they go, what should they be looking for, and 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 how can you help them out? Well, again, very grateful for the amount of attention you've drawn to us, but if you have the desire to begin officiating football for us, you can check out our website. It's sefoa.net. Southeastern Football Officials Association. And right on our homepage, we have a Google Doc for you to fill out. If you click on that and you fill out the doc, we're going to ask you to just provide us with some basic information about yourself, name, phone number, email, that kind of thing, so we know where to contact you. We are going to hold two informational seminars this month. We have one next Sunday at 2 p.m., and we have one the following Thursday, April 27th at 6 p.m. So we're trying to uh, accommodate everybody's schedules. Neither of these meetings are mandatory to begin officiating, but we are holding them so you get a better understanding of what you can expect if you would like to begin the journey of officiating. So we tell you about your expenses. We tell you about your travel. We tell you about your uniforms that kind of thing. So you have a good idea of what to expect when we do begin our off-season training program, which is going to start on May 8th. And May 8th consists of the eight weeks of classes for training up to the beginning of the season. And we ask that if you are serious about officiating, that you begin attending those meetings with us by May 8th. The meetings that we ask you to sign up for via the Google Doc, which is going to be a Zoom call, are not mandatory. They're just informational so that you can get a better understanding of what it takes to begin. And again, right on our homepage, sefoa.net. Very easy for you to find that link. And we'd love to get as many people uh, as we can interested. Lance, we appreciate you. And, and just so everybody's clear, when he says next Sunday, he means the 23rd. That's that's upcoming uh, in just a couple of days here. So the 23rd and the 27th for the informational meetings, May 8th starts up the the, the classes. And, uh, and the informational meetings, just to be clear, Lance, there's no commitment there, right? You can come get information. You're not signing up for, you know, uh, a month-long commitment or anything like that, correct? 100% correct. Yeah, there is no commitment. You'll just be joining us to find out what it takes. There you go. Lance, we appreciate you for joining us and uh, and send everybody to sefoa.net. That's the uh, that's the plan. Tim, can't thank you enough. I really do appreciate it. The clock is running out on the 757 at 6. That means it's time for Robbie's Roundup. Or wait a minute. It's Robbie's Roundabout. 
or Robbie's Roundout. Whatever he's calling it today, here's Robbie Vogler on Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. That's right, it is the Robbie's. It is the 757 and 6. It's Robbie's Roundout. We go through this all the time. I hope you're doing well. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good night. If I don't see you tomorrow, good morning. Man, it is it's great to be with you. It was a long weekend. A lot of a lot of baseball consumed, a lot of basketball consumed over the weekend. We don't have a lot of time today. Thank you so much to Lance Ulrich of the uh net is the uh the website you can go to. He is the director of recruiting. If you want to become an official in the 757, check it out. That's cfoa.net if you want any information on that cause and, and all that jazz. So um, it was great to have him on. It, you know, it's something that we don't talk about enough, but I think it's something that you know needs to be brought up. The the lack of, or I'm not, I'm not sure the lack of is the right word, just the, uh, the struggle to find officials. I'm here. It was a great conversation with him. So thank you so much, Lance, to uh, who joined us. I mentioned yesterday, or I mentioned earlier, just moments ago, that there was a lot of a lot of baseball consumed. I went to an ODU baseball game on Friday. Loved it. The other days, not so much. Well, I'll talk about that tomorrow. Don't worry. Tomorrow, seven five seven at six, will be a breakdown of my experience in kind of the season so far. After this past weekend against Coastal Carolina, I'll talk about it. Another game I want to talk about, another team I want to talk about is the Norfolk Tides. The Norfolk Tides had me, they had me worried. They had me scared. Hampton Roads. They lost their first three games of last last week's series against Nashville. Now, it scared me because... They had been on an incredible run. They had lost one game up to that point. Then, of course, they lose three in a row. I'm like, what the heck is happening? But here we are. It's not how you start a series, they say. It's how you finish it. And, man, did they finish it out in style. They won the last three. They are coming into this next road road homestand in style. They got a six-game set against Rochester coming up starting tomorrow at 635. It is going to be a thing. And I'll tell you this. They got the best record in the uh, International League right now. So if you are uh, thinking of some entertainment, midweek entertainment at any time this week, 6.35 6.35 start times tomorrow, Wednesday, and Friday, and Saturday. You got a 12.05 if you uh, want to take the uh, the afternoon off from work. 12.05 start time, the business special matinee. And then, of course, the 1 o'clock bark in the park on Sunday. This team's got me excited. I'll, I'll tell you this. It, it's been a while. I, I've lived in the 757 for almost my entire life. I grew up going to Tides games, watching my favorite players on other teams because obviously I was never a Mets fan. I'm not an Orioles fan. So seeing the Columbus Clippers come to town, seeing the the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre, I don't even know what the – you know what I'm saying. The Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Yankees coming to town, 
and, and see my favorite players from my favorite team coming to town to Norfolk and do their thing. Haven't seen a lot of success. Have not seen a lot of success in terms of, of the Norfolk Tides. This year is different. We talked to Pete Mishu, um on opening day on the home opener a couple weeks ago, and he said this team is different. This team is absolutely stacked. And you're seeing that. You are seeing that now. This team's ability to bounce back, this team's ability to be successful on a big stage. Not only for the call-ups that are happening back and forth, because obviously that happens in minor league baseball, but you are going to see something special if you head to Harbor Park. And I'm encouraging you. I'm encouraging you to go see them this week. Because you never know which star is going to be called up. And that's the thing that you you worry about when you're here in the 757. If you are a fan of the Norfolk Tides, you worry about who the heck you're going to see and who the heck is going to be around come the next day. You never know. That's going to wrap things up. I know it was a shortened version of Robbie's Roundup, but I had to get in my two cents on how excited I am about the Norfolk Tides tomorrow. I promise I will get into ODU and my thoughts over the weekend and kind of what the, the plan is moving forward for Old Dominion Baseball. A uh, big thank you to Lance Ulrich of CFOA. If you are interested, head on over to sefoa.net if you want more information about those uh, those meetings upcoming in the next few days have a great great rest of your evening enjoy the weather it is beautiful outside and we'll talk to you tomorrow right here tim donnelly show tomorrow at three and then of course seven five seven at six followed by the norfolk tides at six have a great night we'll talk to you then later